welcome to another episode of Fraternity. I'm your big brother, Sean. And I'm your little brother, Danny. And we are back at it again, ready to celebrate horror and deliver the goods with some fond memories and fresh perspectives. You know, due to some unforeseen circumstances, we haven't been able to upload in about a month. It's been a real shame, but here we are again, ready to celebrate horror with everybody. And even though we haven't been posting, we've been having a good bit of downloads in September. And we just want to take this time to thank everyone that's been checking us out still. Yeah. uh, Even though we haven't been able to upload in a month, we've still been getting some pretty decent, steady listeners. So it really means a lot. Anyone that's just given us the time and chance and listening to us. So we really, you know, want to thank anyone listening and we hope you're a fan. We hope you continue to listen. Yeah. And we're looking forward to delivering even more content now and hopefully nothing gets in our way. We don't want to really date our podcast, so we're not going to really discuss what's kept us offline, but it may come around when uh, a fitting movie maybe up for discussion so stay tuned for that as well but today we're going to be discussing a movie that's all about people making brash decisions and quickly coming to regret them and often finding it's not so easy to correct the situation that you've made worse now before we reveal what movie we're going to be doing today i kind of want to do a checklist of themes structure and subgenre classification, Danny. So tell me what you think about this list, and you can add anything if you'd like. So first and foremost, we have a creature feature, correct? Absolutely, in every sense of the word. We've also got demons, or maybe I should say we've got demon. Yeah, there's a demon in here. There's some religious undertones in the film. The structure, at a certain point, becomes very slasher but it still remains like a unique plot within the slasher formula but i really appreciate the slasher formula it plays within did you sense any of that i guess so yeah i think this movie has a lot of atmosphere and kind of builds up to a lot of the gore and what happens in the second half of the film speaking of the second half of the film it's not the most integral part but technically it's a cabin in the woods film yeah, you know what? I thought about that when I was rewatching it. I was like, you know, this is kind of an interesting take on like a cabin in the woods. You you wouldn't initially think about that. Like that's not its like selling point, but it is kind of a cabin in the woods story. I definitely took note of it as well. We've also got a bit of witchcraft and supernatural elements thrown in for good measure. Spooky things going on of the otherworldly. And most importantly, It's a revenge film. I don't think any of these other elements would matter one bit if this film wasn't carried by an excellent revenge and redemption plot. Yeah, I think our main character kind of carries the story on his back, to say the least. Not that I don't... You know, we'll get into it, but I think the main character is really strong in this film and kind of makes the film, for me at least. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, anything you'd like to add? I would say that this movie can also be kind of classified as kind of a folklore or folk tale. It almost kind of has that aura of like, this could be a story that you've been told, you know, to make you fear 
something. And they kind of touch on that too in the in the film. Yeah, this could be all just a a spook story, really. Yeah, I can't I can't remember if it was in the marketing or not, but like kind of like a grim fairy tale. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if anyone hasn't figured out what the movie is, would you like to reveal it for us? Well, the movie we're going to be talking about today is none other than 1988's Pumpkinhead. And can we just talk about the title Pumpkinhead? Because I just love that title. Like, it just leaves so much up to your imagination. Like, it could mean anything. What does Pumpkinhead really mean? The title alone just has limitless potential. I would never expect a movie called Pumpkinhead to be about rural America and this kind of folklore tale and a story of tragedy and revenge. It's definitely a very unique title. It, it's it got pop, you know, it's uh, yeah, you really can't judge what exactly is lurking in that in that box or on that disc. When you look at Pumpkinhead, you know, you have an idea, especially if you're looking at artwork on the cover. But as to where it's going to take you, yeah, it's kind of hard to judge, right? Yeah, definitely. And even if, like, I had seen, like, pictures of Pumpkinhead before, but, like, is he a demon? Is he an alien? Like, what is this thing? You know, even then, like, seeing screenshots of it, you can't really pinpoint what exactly the film is. You see a picture of, like, Jason or Freddy, and it's like, all right, this is going to be a slasher, but, like, Pumpkinhead, you really don't know. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to get to asking you now is, was this a first-time watch for you? Yep, this is a first-time watch. Didn't really know much about this. I'd seen, I'd heard the title and I'd seen pictures of Pumpkinhead the being, but that was about it. If we're going to talk about my first experience with Pumpkinhead, we got to go way back. This is prior to the VHS horror collection. This is prior to my interest in horror. We got to go all the way to 1989 when I was five years old and our parents rented Pumpkinhead around Halloween. I remember being in the store with them and seeing. The box art, like you said, you know, you got the title Pumpkinhead. And then the VHS box art I remember is like this artist drawing of Pumpkinhead in the pumpkin patch with really unrealistically twisting trees with a full moon behind them. It almost looks kitty, but you kind of know it's not. (laughs) So they rented the movie and we went home and they put it on and I tried watching it. And we don't want to get too far into the movie. And I didn't get too far into the movie at five years old because there's a certain shot in the introduction that involves Pumpkinhead, a victim, and a silhouette. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And that image, especially on a murky VHS, really scarred me. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I was out of the room. Like, that just freaked me out. Like, when I watched it again now, I almost feel like high definition. It's still a great shot. It's lit very well. It's still effective. But I think on a crappy VHS, it really, like, just, it had a darker image, so it really looked creepier. You know, now you can almost see a little too much. But five-year-old me was like, nope, not watching this movie. And if you remember how the Houston house was, like, the TV in the living room, like, faced away from the kitchen area, like, the dining area. And I remember I went and I sat like at the dining table and just stared at mom and dad like while they watched the movie and they would like try to coax me like, come on, there's nothing scary right now. Like, come back in here. And I can't remember if I did or not. I think maybe a few times I would walk back in there and soon like jet my ass back out of there. 
Because another aspect of this movie that just ruined my childhood is the audio. You know, like all the audio that accompanies Pumpkinhead. And I'm I'm not even watching the TV and it's still creeping me out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of like really good audio cues in this film, which are just very striking. And I know the image you're talking about of Pumpkinhead in the beginning. And it's just like, it's such a striking image, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't think anyone can blame a five-year-old me for having enough right then and there. I don't know what mom and dad were thinking, renting that and trying to show that to you. And I just, <laughs> I love that you said that they were like, come on, like, come watch it. Like, our parents have this habit of just, like, not letting you win and just like, come on, you, you, you wussy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, making fun of their kid for, like, being scared. I'm not ready for this. You know, you're trying to yeah. tell them and there's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> and I'm not stupid. Yeah, it's not scary right now, but more scary is coming. You know, <laughs> so I can't really remember when I finally did watch Pumpkinhead. But I remember like it was quickly after this that I did get into horror. And I remember dad would always like tape horror movies off of TV for me, especially when we had like HBO and stuff. And I remember having a tape. And it had Pumpkinhead 2, Puppet Master 4, and Puppet Master 5 on it. And so I loved Puppet Master 4 and 5, but I would always kind of sit there and watch Pumpkinhead 2. And we're not going to discuss Pumpkinhead 2. We'll leave that for another day, another podcast. But I enjoyed Pumpkinhead 2, and I think it prepared me for finally settling down and watching Pumpkinhead 1. Like I said, I really just can't remember when that was. Maybe I rented it. Maybe I finally bought it one Halloween myself on VHS. I do remember I eventually did find those VHSs that I'm talking about when I was doing my horror collection. And that was great because Pumpkinhead 1 and 2 deserve a spot in any horror collection. So I had it in the mom and pop VHS horror collection. And I also remember flipping out with joy when Scream Factory announced they were releasing Pumpkinhead. I was like, yes, you know, I'm getting to. Add another movie to my Blu-ray collection that's going to be one I lost that I had on VHS. And then they did get around to releasing the sequel as well. It's definitely one of my favorite movies, like most horror movies are. And that's my little story time. That's my history with Pumpkinhead. So I guess when you're ready, we can hop right into the movie. It made me think about what you said, uh, how it was almost more scary on the VHS and how nowadays, like, you almost kind of do see too much. Like, I don't want to say the magic is gone. I think you can appreciate the visuals a lot more in Blu-ray and 4K. But it's just, you know, there is something about, like, watching a horror movie on a little VHS screen. I don't know. Because you see, like, people that play old games that are obsessed with, like, classic games like Super Nintendo and Nintendo. You know, they play on VHSs because that's what they know and and... They think that's the best quality. So I wonder, are there people out there that are like, yeah, I like to watch VHS on or watch horror on VHS? I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are out there. And, you know, obviously image quality today is so much better. But there is something to be said. Like when I think back to watching like those old VHSs, even ones I recorded off of television and I think to like the Blu-rays now, it's hard to discern. You know, I feel like I saw the same thing. But at the same time, like especially when I was using my method of buying used movies that were rentals. These were movies that had been played who knows how many times. And surely you start to lose quality too. So you get a grittier, darker image. And with horror, sometimes 
that's to its benefit. Sometimes not, you know, I'm sure there are times I can mention where uh, my VHS copy was not very good. Like I had a copy of the the original Halloween where the color had basically run off of it (laughs) or movies that were just too dark where it was like, what the hell's going on? You know? (laughs) Right, yeah, there's definitely some give and take. But I can definitely see, like, I don't think Pumpkinhead is that dark of a movie. It uses a lot of visual tricks with the monster. And I can definitely see it, like, being an interesting watch, like, on a VHS. Like, I definitely had that thought. Awesome, man. Awesome. So, yeah, when we get right into it, we got a cool credit sequence with something burning as we show everything. And that's where we first get introduced to, like, like we were saying, it's got great sound design. The synth horror theme is awesome. It's got, like, that bit of, like, country twang thrown in there. And I gotta say, another thing that bothered me as a kid and still bothers me today, like, I hate synth choir vocals in horror movies. <laughs> like, it's just creepy. Like, the, uh, like, oh, I hate it. Ugh. That's funny. I love it. But I give it, you hate it, but you love it is what you're trying to say. Yeah, it's like I think of like the opening of Candyman uses it to great effect in their theme song. And like, yeah, I definitely was hearing it in Pumpkinhead too, like even more synthy. But yeah, that's just something that's able to like get under my skin and make my hair stand up. So, but yeah, awesome nonetheless. Yeah, I really like this title intro. We get these flames and they're just like this bright blood red burning and it's very simple and effective you've got this ominous music and it's just kind of setting the tone for the tale we're about to embark on so our opening scene is in 1957 a young ed harley is saying his bedtime prayers and his father is locking up the farmstead in a panic state and we know that if this guy is panicked something's wrong because this is a real man here it's in the beard yeah, he's just got that look like he's a he's a man built strong, but something is not right tonight. And if he's worried, even even a young Ed is like, what's wrong with daddy? You know, like he knows something's up. Even the mother is like questioning him, like, is everything going to be OK? And then we get a brief cut where we see a man being pursued through the woods. And then he's kind of dragged through some corn stalks and thrown about. But we don't really see the attacker yet. And then eventually we end up he ends up at the door, banging on the Harley residence to get in. Yeah, he's pleading for Ed Harley's father to let him in and help him, and he's saying he didn't he didn't kill that girl, and Ed's father's like, I don't know nothing, nothing about that, and that has nothing to do with me. You know, I've got my shotgun here, and if you're not going to leave, then, you know, I've got to take action. We find out that the guy is a guy named Clayton, and he's been blamed for the death of a girl. So we're led to believe that some kind of vigilante justice is taking place. Meanwhile, you've got young Ed saying, like, why? Why won't daddy help that man? And then his mom just has to console him. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing we can do. They're just taking care of themselves right now. It's it's completely out of their hands, which really sets whatever's happening out there as this kind of unstoppable force of nature right now. Like, there's just nothing to be done and it just has to run its course. Yeah, and eventually the pursuer of Clayton catches up to him, and he flees the Harley residence, and we see him in, like, a muddy gully, and he's, like, getting thrown around, and we get a glimpse of, like, this demon monster just tossing him about, and then it cuts to little Ed walking to a window, and he looks out the window, and he sees 
Clayton being held up in the air by Pumpkinhead in a silhouette. The same shot that horrified me <laughs> when I was five. Ed is looking at when he's about five. You were just the perfect age to see that scene and get terrified by it. <laughs> right. And I mean, clearly it has an effect on Ed just as well because he grows up to be Lance Henriksen. <laughs> so we cut to the present and Ed Harley is now a man played by Lance Henriksen. He's running the farmstead. He's a single father, has an adorable young son named Billy. And I love they established this bond between father and son. Like, it's laid on thick, but it's believable because the acting is really well done here. Yeah, I really like these scenes between Ed and his son. Because, yeah, it is, like, it's not heavy-handed, but it's, you know, it, it's just it's just pure, you know? That's all I can say is that it's really pure-hearted, the relationship between them. And, you know, Ed is just the perfect father. Like, he loves his son, and his, he's always listening to his son. And Billy makes him a necklace, and he gives it to him at breakfast. And Ed is just like, wow, I love it. And, he, and Billy's like, you know, you don't have to wear it every day just when you feel like it. And Ed Harley is just, I'm going to wear this thing every, every day. I'm never going to take it off. And it's just so pure. You know, it really gives you insight into what kind of person Ed grew up to be. Yeah, because he looks like a stern, farm-risen man, but he's like got such a heart for this kid. Like, he has a deep devotion to his son. And it doesn't tell us what happened to the mother yet, you know, so... We know the mother isn't there. We can uh, kind of assume that he's a widower. And yeah, it's just you can tell, you know, they're in this really rural, small community and they're all they got, you know, and they're they're in it 100 percent for each other. And yeah, it is awesome. And then we meet our city folk that are coming in. Yeah, we contrast immediately to six teenagers on their way to a cabin in the woods. Yeah, we've got Tracy who's our female lead. We've got Joel, who's like just a scummy douchebag. Like immediately when they introduce Joel, you don't like this guy. Like he's driving a flashy car, drinking beer and just looking like an all around prick. (laughs) He's got the leather jacket, the sign of a true douche. (laughs) Yeah. He almost looked like a cross between David Hess, who played Krug in last house on the left and Bruce Campbell to me. (laughs) (laughs) Kinda, yeah, I can see that. And then we've got Steve, who's Joel's younger brother. And he's like a decent dude. And he's kind of telling everybody, look, Joel's Joel's a good guy once you get to know him. Because obviously, even some of the people in the other car think Joel's a douche. Yeah, Steve's, Steve's trying to win them over about Joel. Yeah, then we have Chris, who I put down, he's a good guy, Chad. Because <laughs> he looks like a, the... The uh, he looks like a Chad, but he's he's a cool dude, you know. Does he look like a Chad? He looks a little bit like a nerd to me. He just has that Chad look from uh, the Friday the Thirteenth, the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly he's not a Chad. Just he has Chad-like appearance, but he's he's a good guy. I guess you could say he's kind of a bit of a nerd. Then we have Maggie, who's like. The, war- the worry wart, and she's Steve's girlfriend. And lastly, we have Kim, who's in the car with Joel, and she's his girlfriend. And they're driving off to the cabin in the woods. But first, they're going to make a stop at Harley's Grocery. Ed and Billy are just pulling up to the grocery store, and they're getting things open, ready for business. And our teenagers pull up. Yeah, and then another truck full of the, the locals. 
arrive too. Wallace family. Yeah. We get uh some interaction with Joel just putting his foot in his mouth, making fun of Billy's glasses, and he decides to go take the dirt bikes out for a spin, and he's already like coaxing his brother to go out there with them and Chris and uh Tracy are talking to Billy and then the little the little people the little kids from the Wallace clan like still uh, Gypsy the dog who I don't think we mentioned they they have the dog Gypsy they steal the ball and when he steals the ball the Wallace kids begin to circle him and scare him by singing the pumpkin head poem yeah, one of the kids, Bunt, he kind of starts off chastising the kid for stealing, and Bunt will become a little more important later on. And yeah, they're giving off this creepy vibe, singing this pumpkin head chant, and even the teenagers are creeped out by this. You know, eventually they they yell stop because it gets so under their skin. And while this is happening, like Ed is kind of looking off into the distance. He's getting flashbacks to that glimpse of pumpkin Eddie saw as a child. It's really effective. I really like this kind of foreboding scene. Yeah, that it, it's very well done. And yeah, it does. It's like you see Ed in the store like being hypnotized and he snaps out of it when Tracy yells stop and everybody kind of stops and everyone decides to go on their own way. Ed's finishing up ringing up Mr. Wallace. Unfortunately, he's forgot the feed at his house, so he's got to go get it. So he tells Billy and Gypsy, come in the store. I got to take a ride. Then we'll all take a ride. You got Steve and Joel riding their dirt bikes and Gypsy and Billy in the store unattended. And this is where we get to our inciting incident. So Gypsy runs out. She starts to chase the dirt bikes and Billy goes running after Gypsy. And the teens are trying to stop Billy, but he's, he's, he's getting too far up until where they're riding their dirt bikes. And... Steve comes over the little hill, barely misses Billy, but then Joel comes over, and Joel's been drinking, and he runs over Billy, smacks Billy, and Billy's just on the ground, and there's just a bunch of commotion at this point. Like, nobody knows what to do. Like, Joel's like, I'm out of here, because if we call the cops, they're going to know I was drinking, and he's already on probation, so, you know, he's not just going to get a slap on the wrist, and Joel's off. And they're just like, forget Joel, like, we gotta, like, take care of the kid. But they're all teenagers, they don't really know what to do. They're like, just stay with the kid, like, go see if there's a phone in the grocery store. There's no phone, so they can't call anybody. Steve is gonna stay with Billy, and the rest of the teens are gonna go up their way to the cabin to try and get a phone there. I just really love the, like, commotion about this scene. It's a very realistic portrayal of, like, when shit hits the fan, like, what not to do and how you can kind of get overcome with fear and, you know, no one's prepared for this. It's just very scary and realistic. You know, maybe Billy could have survived if someone had a good head on their shoulders and was able to face fear in the face, but unfortunately, everyone was kind of scrambled and no one was leading. Yeah, most of the group tries their hardest, you know, and it's funny because I was thinking, like, when they're driving to the store, they see that like mountain man walking up the road and Tracy wants to take his picture and Steve starts kind of cracking wise about, you got to be careful around these people, you know, like, I think somebody like killed their wife and ate her and I think that's him, you know, but it's just like they have that like prejudice of like the rural folk, you know, and now they're out there and they just accidentally 
gravely injured one of these guys' kids. And then Joel makes the situation that much worse, you know, by doing what he's doing. There's no phone. And yeah, like Steve and Tracy and and Maggie is just in shock. So she's no help. But, you know, Tracy, uh, Chris and Steve, they try, you know, and Steve is admirable when he's like, look, y'all go to the cabin, get to the phone. I'm going to stay with the kid. And poor Billy's laying there and Gypsy's there. Yeah, it's just a worst case scenario situation, you know? Yeah, it's just unfortunate. Yeah, and Ed arrives back at the store, and Billy's not there, and he's quickly realizing something's wrong, and then he notices Steve standing out in the field, like, waving him down, and he takes off running out there, and he finds Billy on the ground, and he's just, you can see the hurt. He picks Billy up and starts rushing him to the truck, and Steve's attempting to explain the situation and offer any assistance he can, and Ed just turns around and gives him this look. Like, oh man, that look was... Yeah, Ed comes back and like, when he's cradling Billy, like, he doesn't have to say anything, you know? It's all on his face, his emotions that he's feeling. I liked how his hat flew off when he was running and he just didn't give a shit. Yeah, that's a nice detail. There's a lot of nice details that I think elevate his performance. Yeah, it's a great... I don't know if it's a crane shot or not, I think it's a crane shot, but as like, the truck peels out and Steve's kind of left there, and the we pull back and now like where all the commotion was is just like dead silent, you know? And it's like, this has just affected a lot of lives and things are going to get way worse before they get better. Or this wouldn't be a horror movie. Ed gives this scowl, you know, this can't end well, you know, kind of cements their demise right there with that look. So the rest of the kids get to the cabin and Joel and Kim are there hiding out and Tracy tries to use the phone. And Joel cuts the cord and it's like, he's quickly becoming threatening. And that's where they do explain like to pr- the probation bit. And he's like, I'm not letting anything or anyone tie me to this, you know? So Chris does his best, you know, he gives Joel a nice crack on the chin and tries to get the keys. Cause he took the keys from Tracy also. And eventually he sneak attacks Chris and all the kids are just, in disarray and the situation's about to get really bad and then we cut to ed getting home with billy and he's like cleaning his wounds and consoling him and billy manages to utter daddy and then he just goes limp and dies right there in ed's arms yeah i really like that they try they're not immediately like afraid of joel they're just like come on man like let's let's call like let's do something but joel is just like yeah he's getting more and more menacing and then eventually they're like, okay, like, there's nothing we can do. This guy just, like, took control of the situation. <laughs> yeah, as uh, douchey as Joel's character is, like, he goes through a lot of transitions. And I applaud his acting, you know, because he goes from, like, scummy douchebag to menacing asshole to some other things that are a bit surprising later on. Joel is definitely the strongest of the teens. A lot of these early scenes, I feel like, just kind of work to build him up as this kind of asshole and like you said we'll see him go through more transitions as the movie goes on yeah steve gets back to the cabin next and he finds that joel has tracy and chris trapped in a closet maggie's like laying on the couch just shook into her core steve's trying to explain what happened to joel and he's like look you know the kid's dad came and got him and took him and i think we're gonna be fine but then he says like 
He looked at me like he wanted to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) Joel doesn't really like the sound of that. And then Ed arrives at the Wallace farm with the feed. And he calls upon Mr. Wallace to come out. He starts asking him about an old woman that he heard has powers. And even shows Mr. Wallace like, here's my dead son. You know, I need some help. And I thought this was interesting because when they first drive into the Wallace farmstead, there are so many people here. And I'm assuming that they're all related. Like this is some huge backwoods community. And it's very telling because here's Mr. Wallace, who's probably the patriarch of this bunch. And he's got he's got kids. He's got grandkids. Ed only had his son, you know, and and his fruit stand. And now he's really got nothing. You know, so you can see why he's driven to seeking out who we will find out is a old witch named Haggis. Mr. Wallace, he's he's very level headed with Ed. He's like, you go home, you bury your boy. And I'm sorry what happened to him. Like, he's almost like a little callous in a way. Like, you, like, you definitely know this guy has dealt with some loss in his life. But yeah, Ed, like Billy was all Ed had. You know, he doesn't he's he is widowed and now he's alone. and. Ed is just operating purely on revenge. Like, there's nothing you can do to stop him anymore. Well, Mr. Wallace even tells him, like, he kind of finally fesses up. Because he's saying the whole time, like, I don't know nothing about no woman. I don't know what you're talking about. But then he does crack just a degree to saying, like, she can't help you. All she can do is send you straight to hell. You know, and it's, it's the first of a few warnings that Ed ignores. You know, like, Mr. Wallace was really actually trying to do right by him. Because he is right, you know, like, she can't really do anything for him. Yeah, definitely. He's definitely trying to help Ed as much as he can. But like I said, Ed is just, he he's not thinking logically anymore. So he's back on the road. And then what's this kid's name? Bunt? Bunt, yeah. Okay, because I thought his name was Bud. But okay, Bunt. <laughs> I was like, what is his name? Because I heard it pronounced Bunt, but I also heard it sound like Bud sometimes. But yeah, Bud approaches Mr. Harley and he tells him, like, I know who you want to see. And he says, what's your trade? And Ed gives him a couple bucks and he's off to find who we will see. Is, in my opinion, one of the coolest witches put the screen. So Ed forces Bunt to ride in the back of the truck with him to show him the way. And then it immediately cuts to another shot of Bunt, like, banging on the top of the truck, like, let me out, let me out, like, stop the truck. <laughs> like, this is as far as I go. You keep, you keep going down that way, you'll find the cabin. Everything about this scene is just perfect. Like, you get to this decrepit cabin in the middle of nowhere, and it's swampy, it's surrounded by swamp, and everything's covered in moss, and there's fog. Like, it just looks like a haunted house. Yeah, it's an incredible set. Yeah, I love this set. This set is just amazing. Yeah, the exterior is amazing. The interior is amazing. There was clearly no expense spared in just creeping this thing up. And sitting in the middle of the room is Haggis. And we get like, at first we see her from behind and it's like, she's so old and nasty. And like the way the room is lit, you can see like through her like hair and just see her skull. Like, yeah, you can count the individual hairs on this witch's head. And I love that shot when it's like panning the back of her head. And yeah, you just can see through her hair and see her skull. Like she's just so old. <laughs> like this woman looks 200 years old. She looks incredible, and 
she says, you know, I can't raise the dead because Ed brought the body of Billy in with him. So he sets Billy down and then he has like a sack of like all the family jewels, right? He's got like gold watches, gold coins, all kinds of stuff. And he like dumps it like on a table by Haggis like in a bid for her assistance and she's like i can't help the boy but ed starts to explain that he knows about the demon pumpkin head and he wants to conjure it to right the way he's been wronged you know haggis is like egging him on like say it what do you want ed harley <laughs> say it and then he and then he like recounts what he saw and you know what he's heard his whole life about pumpkin head and all the tales and she too warns him she says what you're asking for comes at a very powerful price and again ed is persistent she sends him off to a graveyard that's also a pumpkin patch she's like go dig this body out of this grave and he's like how will i know and she's like you'll know and you most definitely know when you see it right another awesome set another awesome location this little bit of land raised above everything else on the top of it is the grave of pumpkin head I love when the music swells in sync when Ed puts the shovel in the ground. Yeah, that's a great stinger. Covered in fog. Yeah, this graveyard is awesome. Ed is digging up the grave. I love when he picks up the corpse of Pumpkinhead in his arms. And then he's like so disgusted he drops it and has to like get away from it for a minute. You know, that's just another little detail I really like about Ed Harley. Like, you know, he's a strong built man, but even he is like disgusted at this maggot infested corpse. Yeah, that is, I was going to mention that too, like the way he like, he's like touches it for a second. He's like, oh, and he jumps down and he's like got to collect himself. But he he's set on doing this. So we cut back to the cabin where the kids are real quick. Tracy and Chris are still trapped in the closet. Steve is telling Joel like, look, why don't I say I hit the kid? You know, the most they'll do to me is a slap on the wrist. And Joel's like, no, I'm not letting you do that. And Kim's like, yo. There's something wrong with Maggie. And then we're going to get to a great scene where Ed returns the remains to Haggis. And we're about to witness the rebirth of Pumpkinhead. Another great scene. Like this middle part of the movie is just like kind of knockout after knockout with the sets and the, and the scenes and the acting. I kind of felt like it's almost like two different movies, you know, like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But it's like once they're separate from the inciting incident. Like, Ed goes on such a crazy backwoods fairy tale like journey while the kids are having like this kind of siege film in a cabin in the woods scenario. And it's like, they're going to collide, you know? And so we learn that Pumpkinhead is the demonic spirit of vengeance. And she begins to do her witchcraft on it. You know, she takes some blood from Ed. Takes from some blood from Billy. Who knows what else she's been doing in this damn cabin while he was gone. Ed collapses to the floor in this trance-like state. And we begin to witness, like, the birth of Pumpkinhead when she pours, like, the fluid into the mouth. And, like, the rotten corpse starts, like, twitching and waking up. I thought Haggis looked real cool in this scene, like, standing over him. And he starts to grow and change shape, right? Yeah, you see Pumpkinhead go from this little weird-looking corpse growing into the monster. This huge, like, seven, eight-foot-tall demon that just towers over everything. And it's just, it's so well done. Like, the music and 
just the set and the fog and everything is just perfect in this scene. And like, yeah, the lighting, you get strobes. Then Ed wakes up on the floor and Haggis is like standing over him. She's like, you can go now, Ed Harley. You can go now, Ed Harley. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. He wakes up and she's just over him like, yeah, you're done here. Like, it begins now. Like, what you wanted. Yeah, it's all been set into motion at this point. And Ed's like driving home now and he's still kind of dazed. And somehow there's another vehicle on this road. And they almost have a head-on collision, but they swerve out of the way. And Ed, like, comes to a stop. And we get this great, great jump scare where Billy's corpse just sits up. And he's like, what'd you do, Daddy? And you see, like, Ed is just not in his right mind. Yeah, he's exhausted. And then, yeah, he sees this vision of Billy. Right there, he's already feeling a little bit of the grief to come about what his actions yeah, so we cut back to the cabin where the kids are again, and now these stories are going to collide. And Maggie just wanders out of the cabin, and Steve kind of tells Joel, like, you got to do the right thing, and you have to do it now. And this is also, we cut to Ed digging a grave for Billy, and this is where they do establish, like, his wife did die. And so we see the little Harley family cemetery on their plot, and, uh, You know, he's saying, look, they killed our boy, honey, and now they're going to pay. So he's still not regretting his uh, choices here. He's he's still like, look, they wronged me and they're going to get theirs. So in the woods by the cabin, Steve stops Maggie and she's wearing a cross around her neck and he takes it and he's like showing it to her. And he's like, look, I need you, you know, use this, you know, I need you to come back to your senses. And it works for a moment. But we see Pumpkinhead is there, and suddenly it just yanks Steve, pulls him up in the air, and just viciously drops him down in front of Maggie, and then, like, drags him off. I love how it drags him off, and you see him, like, get lifted up off screen. Yeah, Pumpkinhead is really fond of uh, picking people up and just dropping them. (laughs) Yeah, he's savage. He toys with his victims and just... Oh, as we see, Steve just gets broken apart. He's getting slammed into trees and he's 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 literally shattered. But in these moments, we see that Ed is telepathically linked to Pumpkinhead, right? And he bears witness to what's going on. You know, this is the price you pay. You are linked. He's linked with Pumpkinhead now. And anytime Pumpkinhead attacks, he starts to like convulse and like see what is becoming of the victims. And it's slowly becoming, like, a lot for Ed to handle. I thought it was great, because, like, simple revenge would be way too easy, you know? And he was warned numerous times about the price, right? And, you know, there's a quote about revenge, you know, the, if you're on the path to revenge, you better dig two graves. And this movie, like, really nails that. And the other thing is, I know that Ed doesn't know what really happened to Billy. But it's like, does Pumpkinhead know who is really guilty or does he not care? Like, has he just been set upon this whole group? You know, it's really brutal revenge because a lot of these kids are innocent. Pumpkinhead is just driven by Ed's pure rage. And you're right, Ed doesn't know like what happened exactly. And he's just like got this fever just to get rid of all those all the teens. Yeah, it's like like how much is Pumpkinhead like really just reacting to Ed, you know? Like, Ed is just leading it. 
we see Steve's body just get thrown against this tree and he's all broken up. Like his arms are in this weird mangled position. <laughs> and then we cut to the cabin and Joel, of course, is coming to his senses now. Like he's like, I'm always fucking up, but it stops now. Unfortunately for Joel, it's way too late already. And he lets Tracy and Chris out of the closet right as Maggie bursts through the door, just freaking out. Yeah, Maggie just saw Steve get dragged off by this demon, and she's in hysterics. And I do like this 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 turn of Joel. It's really unexpected because this whole this whole time he's just been an absolute you know number one douchebag. And then even when he say it like it stops now, you're like this guy is not like serious, but he really is serious. Like he really is. He lets he lets him out of the closet, and he's like let's let's go get this thing. Let's figure it out. Let, let, let's try to survive. You know, he really takes takes the lead here yeah not only does he have this little like transition but it's gonna go even further to where joel is not the badass he acts like he is (laughs) but yeah he tosses chris the rifle and they both go out looking for steve while maggie's praying with the girls i really liked when maggie's like basically praying and saying she saw the devil and the other girls are like there's no devil you know and she's like you don't know what i saw and she says like god's the only thing that can stop what's out there And Tracy walks into the kitchen, and as she walks, the camera's moving with her, and we see Pumpkinhead stalking right outside the window. Excellent shot. I love that when you see him back there in the window, and it's a blink and you miss it kind of thing. There are probably times where I missed it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I probably missed it the first time. Yeah, they really use, you know, the movie never really gives you, like, a clear image of Pumpkinhead for too long. You know, they they really use it effectively to its benefit i think you know they hide him in a lot of shots and it's a lot of quick quick cuts and i think it really like works to its benefit to make Pumpkinhead really feel real and like alive and like a real thing in this world for sure tracy grabs some knives and she says this is just in case god doesn't show i thought that was funny as hell and then we cut back outside and joel find steve's blood-soaked bandana and chris is like okay let's get back to the cabin the girls are at the cabin (laughs) and they run back to the cabin and tracy wisely suggests let's get the hell out of here which is the logical thing to do but maggie and joel are like no steve's out here and maggie's dead set on finding steve no pun intended so maggie goes outside yelling for steve and suddenly steve comes hanging from the top of the cabin dead and falls down right at her feet and all the teens are freaking out and Pumpkinhead's big claw hand comes down and grips Maggie and just lifts her up out of you. What do you think of this sequence? It all happens so fast it's like oh shit Steve's dead and then Pumpkinhead just yoinks Maggie out of the group and grabs her by her head. (laughs) Like a t- like a toy. Yeah, I love when the kids look and you see like her feet like going over the top of the cabin, kicking like <laughs> <laughs> it's almost comical, but it's freaking frightening. <laughs> yeah, they're just kind of like in awe, like oh my god, like this is a demon. Like, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, and speaking of demon, like we get this really memorable to me, super juicy, super sacrilegious. When Pumpkinhead carves the cross into Maggie's forehead. Oh, man. 
that always stuck out to me. And then we're also reminded through all this that Ed is witnessing all this through that telepathic link. Yeah, he's been at his house and he's he's been drinking a little, trying to just trying to forget what's going on, but he keeps getting interrupted anytime Pumpkinhead attacks and he keeps seeing this and eventually it becomes too much for him to handle. We get one last shot of Joel looking down at Steve's body and as broken up as Steve's body is like Joel is really shattered now too. And both sides of this conflict have now experienced loss and both sides are starting to regret everything, right? So this is where we get Ed going back to Haggis. Yeah. Ed makes his way back to the swampy cabin and he's just pleading with her like, please stop it. You know, and she's just like, it's too late. This is what you wanted. What did you think? It'd be easy. Like, do you think this is an easy thing? Revenge? And Ed is just like, God damn you. That great line. And then we get Haggis retorting back. He already has. He already has, son. (laughs) He already has. Yeah, you know... I'm confused because was she talking about goddamning her or Ed? Like, because Ed's like banging on his own head there. You know, is he saying goddamn you to himself or to her? Like, I think she's speaking about herself because, like, I don't know. What does she get out of, like, being the switch that summons Pumpkinhead? You know, like, why is she doing this? Yeah. And, you know, everything she said to him, like I said, is true. And I thought it was funny because I had even said after the first telepathic link to myself, I was like, okay, I love that it's not easy. You know, like there is a price to pay for revenge. And she vocalizes that. And I remember when she said, what did you think it'd be easy? I was like, okay, she just, she's got my notes. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it's like, he even says like, if you won't help me, I'll go kill it myself. And she's like, you, you'll you die and you'll fail. And he's like, I'll die then, you know? And she says like, and pay the ultimate price that much sooner. So clearly he's like, like Mr. Wallace said, she'll send you straight to hell. And clearly by conjuring the demon in his name, he's doomed himself too. That is the ultimate price that you pay is you are sent to hell for enacting the revenge that you so deeply want. So we go back, Tracy and Chris are out in the woods looking for Maggie. And then we cut inside the cabin where Joel and Kim are like sitting right around the kitchen. And that's where we see Joel really is not the tough guy he's been acting like. And then all of a sudden, outside the kitchen window, Pumpkinhead is like using Maggie as a marionette to peer in to the cabin. Pressing her face up against the glass and your your nose and mouth is getting all smushed and it's bloody. And then he just smashes her head through the window and Joel's just like in awe. And then Kim is, this is so shocking to her. It just makes her faint. (laughs) Yeah. I like how she just passes out immediately. Yeah. This scene always stuck out to me. Like, God, that was crazy. If any, if anyone gets the worst of it, it's Maggie. (laughs) Yeah, that was brutal. And so Joel's looking around. He sees Kim's passed out and he like grabs a machete on the counter and he runs outside and he's like, I'm the one you want. And you see the dirt bike's been wrecked and it's good that he's finally owning up to what happened, you know, but again, it's too late, dude. You know, you've already messed up. Like then he walks back into the cabin and he comes face to face with Pumpkinhead with Maggie's unconscious body right between them. And Pumpkinhead like looks down at Maggie or no, he looks down at Kim. Kim is between them. And Pumpkinhead's going to go after Kim next. And Joel like lunges at him with the machete. 
And Pumpkinhead catches his arm and snaps it and makes him drop the machete and then just tosses him aside and drags Kim's unconscious body out of there. Things are moving pretty fast here. Pumpkinhead is pretty, uh, he gets the job done, doesn't he? We're about to have three dead teens in probably a little under 15 minutes. So once this movie gets going, it really gets going. The rest of the kids are, are outside now. The three survivors and they like find Pumpkinhead up in a tree with Kim and he just drops her <laughs> and she falls right on this huge rock and is just dead. Yeah. Like I said, Pumpkinhead really loves to just toss people in the air and just drop them. That's his uh that's his calling card. Is <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> dropping people. Yeah. After they, he drops Kim too, the rest of the group hightails it out of there. And I like we get this bit where Ed arrives at the cabin and he's got a shotgun with him and he finds Steve's dead body. And like the regret is so apparent on his face. Like, yeah, he, he realizes he he is responsible for these deaths and he's, you know, murdered children now. Like he is responsible for these things. And it's like, does that make him any better? you know, than them. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, a lot of, a few people in this story have really made some brash decisions that have in turn affected a lot of innocent lives, you know, and it's like once the cat's out of the bag, you know, it's, it's harder to undo these things than set them into motion. Ed is trying his hardest to right his wrongs, but it's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah. And then we cut to the kids in a very reminiscent scene to the intro where they're banging on doors and no one's helping them and they're like here's where we really see joel as just a wuss you know he's given up chris is like showing his uber chad leadership and like trying to hold him together they're hugging it out like joel is just so defeated i mean he just got his arm broken like a twig by <laughs> pumpkin head i'd probably feel pretty defeated too they attempt to steal a truck here and a local comes out with a shotgun and basically tells him to get the hell away. And he begins to somewhat like explain the situation to him. But then Pumpkinhead arrives. <laughs> yeah, Pumpkinhead shows up. The, the local's out of there. He's like, screw this. But thankfully, Ed shows up. Yeah, Ed puts a couple shotgun blasts into Pumpkinhead and drops him. And Joel walks over. Like you do in a horror movie, you know? He's, like, kicking the body. Yeah, it's like, Joel, you don't know if it's dead. And then Joel puts another one in Pumpkinhead's head. <laughs> There's a sentence. And Joel's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's dead. But immediately Pumpkinhead grabs Joel's leg, gets back up. And straight impales him with his own rifle, right? Yeah, I love this kill about him picking the rifle up and just impaling him with it. It almost shows a little bit of intelligence on Pumpkinhead's side. <laughs> yeah, and it's just savage when someone is impaled by something that's not a sharp object. Like, I don't even want to imagine the pain there. And then not only that, but he, like, lifts Joel way up in the air while he's, like, impaled on the rifle. I mean, Joel kind of deserves it, you know, even after everything. But it is sad, you know. I do like Joel. I do like his transformation. But unfortunately, yeah. this is the end of Joel. He is definitely as responsible as Ed. So if anyone shouldn't get out of this alive, it would be him. That being said, no one makes it out that doesn't deserve to. 
We get a great shot of Pumpkinhead playing with Joel's broken neck. <laughs> Did you like that shot? Yeah, I really like that shot. Yeah, he's just like picking it up and putting it down and picking it up and plopping it down. But then later, like Ed is like cradling Joel's body and he's like picking it up, picking up his head the same way Pumpkinhead did. And it's kind of like a mirror. Like I I thought it was really interesting that they chose to do that. And it's like really kind of setting in place like their connection. You know, Pumpkinhead and Ed, you know, are kind of this one one thing. Because we do also get the scene with that local's dog here it bites ed on the arm and we see pumpkin head react so it's not just a telepathic link but they are one in the same basically right yeah pumpkin head is ed and ed is pumpkin head and then we end up at the wallace farm and the kids are trying to get help there and bunt has to find out right similar to Ed, when he was young in a way, just kind of curious and, you know, he's kind of pure hearted and he wants to help out any way he can. And he and that, and he just is curious, like he just wants to know, like, is it real? Like, I have to see for myself. He has to confirm it. So Bunt sneaks out the window and he starts to help Tracy and Chris. And he's like, look, I might be able to take us to a place that's safe. And it's a good idea. But he ends up taking them to like this burnt out shell of a church. And he kind of, I guess the idea here is it's a holy place, so maybe there will be some sanctuary from the demon. Good idea. Also, another cool set. Yeah, I really like the unfinished church. Yeah, and this is where uh, Tracy and Chris get the whole, like, pumpkin head mythos kind of explained to them, and realization sets in that more than likely the kid is dead if pumpkin head's after them. Yeah, if, if you've been wronged, you can summon pumpkin head to... Get back at the people that wronged you is what Bunt explains to them, and they they put it together like you know the kid must have must have not made it, and this is why it's all happening to us. Speaking of Pumpkinhead, he arrives, and Chris is like, "Do you know where the people that go to those cabins park their cars? Because we need to get there now, because it's immediately apparent that Pumpkinhead is not deterred in the slightest by the church. He just walks in, and the group takes off. And you know, you talked a lot about how well you talked about the clever ways they shoot pumpkin head. But right here we get this interesting sequence where it's like the only prolonged sequence of pumpkin head, like stalking through the church. I thought it was interesting and very cool. Like, I guess they just wanted to show him off a bit. Yeah. This is like the one good look that you really get at pumpkin head. And I love this scene, you know, the strobing lights in the church and he looks at the, at the cross and he picks it up and he just starts smashing it. And it's like, yeah, I don't think he was deterred by anything in the church, in my opinion. <laughs> I think that's the that's the implication is like, is he even a demon? Like, what is he? Is he just like pure revenge personified, you know? Yeah, it's definitely it's a very interesting scene. A lot of interesting choices made here. Another deliciously sacrilegious sequence with him just smashing the cross on everything. You know, we get really great shots of Pumpkinhead, good angles and uh just a really good look at this creature design and again in an awesome set with great lighting yeah it's really effective and it you know no shot of pumpkin head is like they're all deliberate like they're all there in full force and very effective and it really works like i love gazing at the at the costume design and like i said it just really looks real it really looks like it could be a real thing and it it, it never gives you enough to like pinpoint it or like nitpick costume choices you know like we said about there being too much detail and you know blu-rays nowadays for horror like you can definitely see like 
you can definitely see the strings is what i'm trying to say right but in pumpkin head like that effect never takes place well said yeah it's it's a fantastic creature design for sure we then get a brief scene where ed is basically trailing the kids like he ends up at the wallace residence and he's telling like mr wallace like we need to stop pumpkin head but he warned ed and he ain't about to risk his kin or help ed so they reject him and get him packing and we cut back to the kids and they found their way to the vehicles that have just been trashed but there's one dirt bike just sitting like right on the other side of this bridge so chris is like hang back i'm gonna hop on this bike and i mean it's seemingly undamaged he gets on the bike it starts up and then tracy yells and points and pumpkin head is standing right there and he's got the bike chain and he's just dangling it in front of Chris. Like, he's set this trap on him. Lifts the bike and Chris up into the air and just throws him into the ravine. Another nasty fall. I love, like, you just see him land on the bike and it just looks like it hurt, you know? <laughs> like you could just- Yeah, you just know that leg is shattered that was under the bike. Like, oh, it's nasty. I'm sure everyone's taking a nasty fall, like, riding a bike. You know, just imagine that, but like way worse. (laughs) Imagine that with a demon involved and you get the idea. Yeah. So Bunt and Tracy are forced to flee and just leave Chris there. And they run right into Ed and he tells them in no uncertain terms, like get in my truck. And they're, they have no options. So they get in the damn truck and they flee with Ed to his farm. And we get a brief shot of Chris dragging himself and Pumpkinhead just steps right on his back. And you can only imagine, <laughs> like, oh, it's brutal, right? Yeah, Chris is like, you know, he's almost toying with Chris. Like, he's dragging him along. And, uh yeah, he won't let him die yet. <laughs> so we cut to the Harley residence. And Tracy and Bunt are in the house. And Ed's in the barn. He's working on his uh, flamethrower. Tracy goes out there to speak to him. And she's kind of trying to explain what happened. Ed is like semi-listening, right? Like he's, I think he's beyond that. Yeah, at this point, it's like, it doesn't really matter. He's just worried about the situation at hand. And, and she's like, can't you call this off? Like just, and Ed has to tell her, like, nothing can call it off. But he's going to do whatever it takes to send it back where it came from. Yeah, he lights the flamethrower and he's like, I'm going to send it back to whatever hell it came from. And then we cut to Bunt in the house and we get a little jump scare with Gypsy. And immediately after that, like, man and dog, like, get this sense that something's not right. (laughs) And we see Ed in the barn, like, falling into his trance. No, I like the fake out scare then immediately after (laughs) the real scare starts to come. It's like immediately... (laughs) You know something's up, and then the Bunt and Gypsy get in the closet, trying to hide from Pumpkinhead. Well, Gypsy's in in the trunk. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he like, there's a good shot of the dog like looking up through the trunk. But the dog would be safe if you think about it, because he's not involved. Yeah, Bunt is marked because he helped them now. Right. If you if you assist the people Pumpkinhead is after, you have joined them and you're doomed. And I like Pumpkinhead knocks the Harley residence door down with Chris's body and Chris <laughs> is still alive and he just tosses him aside. Yeah, Chris is still suffering <laughs> through all of this. 
I guess Pumpkinhead is like scared of door handles, so he just uses his victims to open his doors or open the <laughs> windows. Well, I mean, have you seen his fingers? I don't know if he'd be able to grip a, a handle very well. Yeah, but he could have pushed he could have pushed that door down without using Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I love how Bunt is hiding in the closet and Pumpkinhead like looks in the closet. And almost acts like he doesn't see him. <laughs> and then just yeah. leaps right on him. <laughs> yeah, again, he's just toying with them. It's like, he knows Bunt is in there. And then he gives it, and then we get a great scare. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. And then outside, Tracy finds Chris. Poor Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and Ed's getting ready to do battle. He's putting the flamethrower on. And he goes to walk outside. And he gets kind of tangled up. And he accidentally impales himself on a pitchfork. And he sees that Pumpkinhead is hurt by this when he gets hurt himself. And then it finally sets in what Ed has to do to finish this whole thing and end it. And he makes his way to his truck and he grabs his pistol. Yeah. Now I wanted to talk, but before we get to that, let's talk about like, because it looks to me like Pumpkinhead's been going through some changes like he has a different face now did you notice this yeah he's starting to like take on more of a human appearance you know he's he's like grown he's like grown he didn't have a nose before and now he has like a human looking nose and we get this shot of like ed and pumpkin head staring at each other and you get this feel that they're connected it almost it's a little confusing because pumpkin head's new face kind of looks like haggis but it also looks like ed like and to me i think it's like Pumpkinhead is turning into ed and we see in ed's eyes like even their eyes are changing and ed is getting like monstrous eyes so it's almost like he's becoming Pumpkinhead, and Pumpkinhead is becoming him like did you get any sense of that yeah definitely there's something there's like a metamorphosis going on like the ultimate price in the end is like you become Pumpkinhead. that's the price you pay i really like the you know, the implications and there's a lot not said and it's kind of left up to your imagination. But yeah, I really like when it's just kind of out of nowhere, like Pumpkinhead is like, I, I did a double take. I was like, does he have like a nose now? I like went back. I was like, he didn't have that before, right? Like, <laughs> am I seeing things? Yeah, it's like it's subtle, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, the, de the movie definitely wants you to like pay attention to it, but it's it's never like explicitly said or brought up really right it goes unsaid for sure but it's definitely there and like we should mention tracy grabs the flamethrower and like it's proven ineffective so quickly as she's like blasting pumpkin head with the flames and he's just like uh okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh like you were saying ed goes to the truck right and he grabs the pistol he hesitates for a moment thinks about it and then we hear a shot off in the distance, and here comes Ed. I assume he shot himself in the head, but somehow he's still, like, cognitive and walking over here. And it does affect Pumpkinhead, and Pumpkinhead falls over, and so does Ed. But one shot to the head was not enough. Yeah, unfortunately, he's not dead. Like, there's a brief moment where you're thinking they're both dead. But as Pumpkinhead does, he quickly grabs Bunt, lifts him up. And we see, like, Ed barely clinging to life, and the gun is just out of his range, right? So he can't reach the gun, and he Tracy's looking at him, and he tells her, like, kill me. And he starts to rise up and really change into 
like he's like looking pretty monstrous and he like goes to lunge for her and she like puts some rounds in him and him and Pumpkinhead both drop dead. Pumpkinhead bursts into flames. Yeah, and we see that these are the flames we were looking at during the credits. And Tracy, Bunt, and a seriously injured Chris, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> They're just left to kind of look on. And then we cut to this final shot, and it's of Haggis in the pumpkin patch at Pumpkinhead's uh, grave site. And she's returning the shriveled corpse to the resting place. And she begins to shovel dirt over the corpse. And that's when we see that it's Ed because he has the necklace that Billy gave to him on. And then that's the end of our film there. And did you put it together that it was Ed being buried? Yeah, I put that together right away because, yeah, it is the necklace that Billy gave him. And it's like even when even even when Ed thought he succeeded, he really didn't because, you know, he's still paying the price. He he has become Pumpkinhead and he will come back assumingly the next time someone wants revenge and summons pumpkin head forth it will be somehow connected to ed in a way and he is the new pumpkin head yeah and you have to wonder if that's that's the redemption for you though if you succeed because it seemed like the pumpkin head was changing into ed and maybe i'm stupid but i didn't put it together that it was ed at first because i was like I felt like there was a lot of transference going on there, and I was like, maybe somehow there was transference with the necklace. But on my second watch, when she puts the corpse into the grave, I noticed it had hair, and I was like, oh yeah, that, that's Ed. <laughs> yeah, it looks a little different than it did when Ed took the original pumpkin head, whatever you want to call it, to Haggis. So yeah, it's definitely a new pumpkin head. A great final way to add to the lore. And the credits roll, and that is Pumpkinhead. Not only the lore, but, you know, the message, too. Like, you know, this is the price of revenge. Like, you become a monster. <laughs> yeah, that's put perfectly. <laughs> you literally become a monster, but, you know, you can apply it to real life and figuratively and whatnot. But yeah, that's Pumpkinhead. Great movie. I really enjoyed it. Did you like this movie? Yeah, I really, I really enjoy it. For what maybe it lacks in a little bit in the character department, because... I think the teens are serviceable. I like Joel. The rest of them are kind of whatever, in my opinion. But I think it makes up for it in just Ed Harley's character development and his story. And you get to see the the folklore and the folktale of Pumpkinhead come alive through his eyes. You you witness you witness it through Ed. It's a tragic story of loss and revenge, and it's got a fantastic fantastic set design. Haggis's cabin set is just amazing i love the the church set Pumpkinhead himself the costume is perfect it's used so effectively you never see too much of it to where you can start to pick it apart and to me like his design just like stays in my head and i just want to see more of him you know that's how i know it's like a really good design and i and i really like it awesome man all right only thing left to do is discuss our favorite kill and favorite scene so you get first dibs what was your favorite kill I gotta go with Joel. You know, you almost kind of don't want Joel to die at that point because he has made this kind of big redemption. Like, he's trying to do everything he can. But you also think back, like, he was kind of major douche in the beginning. He made fun of Billy. He killed Billy. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of ruined everyone else's attempts at trying to save Billy. So it's like, yeah, he kind of deserves it. And you get this 
like we said, getting it, getting impaled by something that's not sharp is always like brutal to look at. And he's suffering like on this gun, on this rifle, on the end of it. And then Pumpkinhead, Pumpkinhead just playing with his with his body at the end when he's dead is just <laughs> so funny, but also gruesome and just drives home that connection between Ed Harley and Pumpkinhead. So how about you? What was your uh, favorite kill? I personally am going to have to go with Maggie because her kill is kind of sequential, like it's spread out, you know, but the carving of the cross into her forehead is to me an iconic shot from this film. It's always stuck in my imagination. Like it's a terrifying image. Even her being yanked up on top of the cabin and dragged off is great. But then the sequence of uh, her being like used as a puppet to peer into the window is just so like spine chilling to me. And I'll go even further with just that actress's commitment to when she's being smashed against the glass. Like she gives, she gives it her all. Like yeah, she's she sells it really well. Yeah, it's it's very hard to watch, and then the way he just smashes her through and leaves her there, and like you see that her chest, I'm assuming, has been like impaled on the bottom section of glass and she's just leaking into the sink a pool of blood is forming around her yeah so definitely gonna go with maggie there and i love your choice too i I like all the kills in this movie it's a very unique movie yeah it is the kills are very unique uh yeah i i maggie would definitely be my second choice for sure i, I love when she gets smashed through that window man yeah and i think i'd have to say joel would be my second so cool man so favorite scene favorite scene i gotta go with the rebirth of pumpkin head at haggis's fun cabin (laughs) (laughs) you know he gets this mixture of uh ed and billy's blood poured onto him and he's like coming back to life and ed is like struggling he falls backward and you know, it all, it's almost like Haggis is enjoying it, you know, like like she gets some personal enjoyment out of watching these people suffer and suffer through their revenge plots. And then you see this little tiny pumpkin head corpse turn into the hulking eight foot tall monster that he is. I love that cabin design again, interior and, exter- and exterior is just awesome. And it's so foggy and the lighting is perfect. Like you said, the strobing lights, uh, that, that scene is just great. So how about you, Sean? Favorite scene? That's a great choice. And I was very tempted to go with that myself, but I'm going to make a subtler choice and I'm going to pick the scene where Ed goes back to Haggis's and pleads with her to stop it. Just because, again, it's an awesome set, great characters, but more than anything, like, Lance Henriksen just is so great in this movie. The acting is so good in this movie. It's kind of overlooked. And I love all his line deliveries here. I like, I just feel it when he's like, you gotta make it stop, you know? And then he he goes from like pleading to anger, you know? And it really delivers and just the way Haggis is callous and like, but at the same time making the point that this is exactly what you wanted. And again, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. You know, you can't put the demon back in the grave. Like she didn't do anything that he didn't want her to do. Right. You know, and he's just, 
you have to come to terms with your choices. And like I said, me and Haggis were on the same page here where she says, like, what did you think? It'd be easy. She even calls him a fool. Like, and yeah, it, you're a fool at Harley. Yeah, it's 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 totally true, though. It's like nothing about this was ever going to be easy. But then to see the shift where Ed is going to damn himself, but try to do the right thing. I just I really love it. Yeah, I love his performance in this film. It's great. And I think you could pick any of the scenes at Haggis's place and those would all be like, I could understand why you would want that as your personal favorite scene. So I think it's as interesting that we both pick something that happens at Haggis's. Yeah, it's a great part of the movie whenever they're in that cabin. <laughs> so that's Pumpkinhead. We hope everyone enjoyed the podcast and we hope you enjoyed the movie just as much as we did. Our next podcast will be in the month of October. I think Pumpkinhead is a perfect movie to start your horror watches for the month and get in the mood for Halloween. For sure, for sure. And we've got a lot of good stuff lined up for this month for our listeners. And we look forward to sharing it with you as soon as we can. So stay tuned next week and we'll reveal our next movie then and talk a lot more about October and Halloween and horror. So again, you can reach us on Twitter at Fraternity. Yeah, you can reach us on Twitter at Fraternity, and you can also email us, fraternity at gmail.com. We're back. We're on a, on a normal schedule now, so expect weekly uploads. We hope you enjoyed the podcast, and thank you for watching. Thank you. Until next time. Bye.